You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. You've got tough questions. We'll try to give you easy answers. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Kenny Ortiz. This is Theology for the Rest of Us, recording from the great city of Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for listening. I know I say that quite frequently, and that is because I mean it wholeheartedly. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to all of my loyal listeners. I am so grateful for you. Uh, It has been over a week since I've posted an episode, and over the last few days, I've gotten several emails and some tweets uh, from several of you out there just saying, hey, where you been? It's it's been over a week. I haven't heard from you. Or, um, you know, it's been a while since you posted an episode, or I've had a couple people send me emails just saying, hey, I sent you a question. Just want to make sure you got it. Are you going to be able to get to that? And I've just been super busy over the last week, haven't been able to chance haven't had the chance to sit down and record an episode and so I apologize if it's been a while and I am so thankful for all of our loyal listeners uh, uh, obviously a very encouraged by the fact that there's a lot of you out there that noticed that I'd been away and so thank you to all of you this is episode 182 and in just a moment I'm going to answer a great question uh, or address a, a great point brought to me my attention by a, a listener by the name of Zach that I've actually uh, had a chance to correspond with uh, over the last few weeks and months. And I've actually answered some of his questions in previous episodes. I'm going to get a chance to do that again today. Hey, before we get to the content for today's episode, just a quick reminder to everyone about the importance of being subscribed to the podcast. Uh, subscriptions are a really, really big deal. They help the show out a lot. Basically, the more people that are subscribed, uh, the further up the search rankings we will appear. So things like reviews and subscriptions and, uh, and downloads help the show a lot. So if you could subscribe, make sure your you know, your device is set to auto-download. Uh, that'll be a big, big deal, big help to the show. Also, it's it's very helpful because you know on times like this where, where I go a week or more without uh, posting an episode, uh, it guarantees you never miss an episode whenever I do come back, right? When you're, if you're subscribed, I come back with a new episode. It gets delivered directly to your device as soon as I post it live. That way you never miss a single episode. Obviously, many of you are already subscribed. Thank you. Uh, But if you are not already subscribed, maybe you're listening to this uh, on a social media platform or you're streaming it from our website, I want to encourage you, if you could do me a huge favor, head on over to my website and subscribe. The site is theologyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, you can click on any one of the subscription buttons. That'll make it easy to take you over to the spot where you can subscribe. Again, that's theologyfortherestofus.com. All right, let's get to the question at hand. Um, Zach is a regular listener of the show, and he and I have gotten a chance to you know email back and forth quite a bit. He he has sent me several very long emails, but very articulate and brings up some great points. So love receiving those emails and, and love the some of the thought processes he, he brings to the table. Uh, from what I can gather, Zach is not a believer. Uh, he wouldn't call himself a Christian. Uh, but Zach, if I'm wrong, if I've, if I've misrepresented you, please feel free to email me and let me know. Um, uh, but but nonetheless, he seems to be a, a student of religion and theology and, and the history surrounding religion, and so he really brings to the table some great points. Uh, he actually has, uh, in our most previous email correspondence, he's brought up several great points that I'm going to address in future episodes. In this particular episode, I'm going to address one point that Zach, Zach brought to my attention, just the idea that, um, that, you know, or how do we know we are, uh, that we are getting the whole truth, you know, that, that when we read the Gospels, and when we read the life of Jesus and the message that he preached and the truth that he asserted and that he put forth, how do we know that the gospel writers got it 
completely right, and they didn't. We're not we're just getting bits and pieces or just a snapshot. How do we know that the gospel truth that we are preaching is the whole, complete, universal truth? Or is there a possibility that there are other books or other things that were written that give us more truth, but maybe have been lost throughout history and we no longer have them? Or are there other books out there that are really good that give us lots of truth? that were written, but for whatever reason, uh, you know, Christianity has rejected them, or maybe the Protestant Bible didn't include them. You know, how, how do we know that, that what we have is true? Or how am I so confident that we are preaching the whole truth when we focus on the New Testament as we currently have it, in particular, uh, the four Gospels? I'm going to give an answer that is really super simple, and, and then I'm going to give you some resources uh, that you can check out, some books and other things that, that kind of really go into, into detail. Um, the, the, the detail on this sort of question is is tremendous, and to be able to cover it in a short podcast is, is really not sufficient. So again, I'm going to give a really super simple answer that probably is really not fully adequate from, uh, from Zach's perspective. Um, and then I'll give, again, I'll give the resources you can check it out. And I'm doing this just for the benefit of kind of all of our listeners just to say, okay, here is the answer. And then here are the places I can go substantiate that answer. Um, and so the answer really is this. How do we know that the gospels really comes out? How do we know that the gospels are accurate and thorough? Um, and they, they, don't, they didn't miss something. And, and I guess that the primary way to answer, answer that is, is because they were widely circulated in the first century. Um, I cover this extensively way back in episode 144, 145, when I talked about the compilation of the scriptures. You can go back and listen to those episodes. Um, but basically, when the gospel writers are writing, you know, when Matthew, Mark, and Luke in particular, when they're writing um, their, their gospels, then they, they, what they immediately begin to do is they send copies uh, and copies of copies. You know, they send out a bunch of copies of this throughout the, the regions in which they were living. And as the, the gospels and later the, the epistles are being uh, circulated all throughout the known world, you have people that were alive during the time of Jesus that are receiving these uh, letters and writings, and they're able to compare it to what they knew to be true. And so the, the wide circulation of the New Testament writings gave people who were receiving these letters the opportunity to verify or corroborate whether or not the writings were accurate and whether or not they were able to encompass you know, the, the whole message of the gospel. Let me put this in a modern context to, to just make sure it, it makes sense. Um, I was not alive during the time of the the Vietnam War. You know, in the 60s and 70s when the United States was involved in a military conflict in Vietnam, I was not alive. However, there are lots of people that are alive today that were alive during the, the Vietnam War. Now, there's been lots written about the Vietnam War. There was a lot of political polarization in the United States. Uh, there were lots of protests. There were lots of different perspectives on what we should or shouldn't do. Some people thought we did too much. Some said we did too little. There was lots and lots of things written, uh, both during the, during the war and then since the war in the decades after. There's been lots of things that have been written about the Vietnam War, right? Now, if I want to learn about the Vietnam War, even though I wasn't alive, I, I've got a plethora of things that I can go read. And because those things are widely circulated and widely available, books and newspapers, things like that, I can go I can go check it out and learn. And, and because there's been so much written and, and circulated, I'm probably not going to miss much. Right? It, there's, there's enough in circulation. Now, over the course of the decades since the war, different people have written different things. And there's no doubt a lot of the things written are biased in some, in some way or another, right? You know, on a variety of different perspectives. Um, what has also happened in the in the 
in the decades following the Vietnam War, particularly in the 80s and 90s, you had a lot of historians who kind of came on the scene and said, well, there are some things that happened that haven't really been well documented. So let's add some additional things into the, you know, in sort of into the the ethos or into the kind of into the world. Let's let's write some additional books or or blogs or whatever to sort of document some additional things that maybe weren't well documented in some of the contemporary writings or some of the writings directly after. Um, but those were people that were alive during the Vietnam War. Now, as these writings are being written, as people write books and blogs and newspaper articles, or whatever, and things Things are being written. What often happens is people that were alive during the time of the Vietnam War they they challenge it. They say no, no, that's actually not how it went down. Or or yes, that is how it, they you know, they are able to corroborate it. Um, so it, when when you have lots of writings in circulation, it gives people in that context the opportunity to either corroborate it and verify it, or to challenge it and say no, 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 that's actually not what happened. There's a bunch of writings about the Vietnam War today of what happened and. People who were alive during that time are able to say, yes, that's how it went down, or they're able to look at a writing and say, no, that's not how it went down. And what we've seen in the decades after the Vietnam War is sort of a consensus starting to build amongst most historians. There's a there's kind of an overarching consensus that that the majority of historians are starting to kind of come to the same conclusions, the same opinions, and basically have come to the point that. This is sort of what happened, and there's sort of a consensus on what actually took place and what were sort of the right decisions and sort of the wrong decisions, and is there still some fierce disagreements and some polarization? Absolutely, there is. However, it has it has subsided over the years as historians have started to sort of kind of come to a consensus. As journalists sort of get out of the way and historians start to sort of to kind of do the documentation of the writing, it becomes a little more clear, so to speak. And, and the documentation that is left is a little easier to grasp. Some of the books and blogs or things that were documented, or things that were written, things that are out there on the web or in libraries that maybe weren't as well corroborated or wasn't at, weren't wasn't as well verified have kind of lost their popularity and they're not well they're not as well circulated. But the the bits of writings and documentation that are kind of more widely respected and kind of more embraced by the overall consensus amongst historians, well, those writings are more popular and they're more widely circulated. In, in essence, anytime there are major events and there are people writing about it, whether they be contemporary writings or writings uh, that, you know, that kind of happen right after the events. Typically what eventually happens, if those are being well circulated, is that the people living in that time begin to verify or corroborate or they begin to challenge particular ones and sort of the, the kind of the, the, the cream rises to the top, so to speak. So how, how does that apply to the Bible and the Gospels and the Epistles in the New Testament? Basically this. As the gospel writers and the epistle writers were writing these these truths, they were writing them down, they were widely circulating them, and in the centuries after the life of Jesus, there were people able to come alongside and either verify or corroborate, or they challenged. There were some things written that people said, no, no, that's actually not how it went down, that's not accurate. They were challenged. And in general, over the course of several decades, you have a consensus Remember, in, in the you know in the 40s, 50s, and 60s AD, you have a bunch of 
people who are church leaders that, that were alive when Jesus was alive. They witnessed the miracles. They they were there for the teachings, right? There are several apostles that live, uh, you know, for several decades after the life of Jesus, and they're able to write extensively. Now, as these things are being widely circulated, what also happens is you have specific things arising that need to be addressed that maybe weren't addressed in any of the previous writings, right? For example, if a particular church started doing a particular sinful thing, the Apostle Paul might write a letter to them and say, hey, listen, that that thing you're doing is wrong. There may not be a letter in circulation that addresses their issue, so he writes a new letter. Now, there are lots of things that happen in the first century within churches, and what would happen is they would the church leaders would go get some of the letters written by the apostles and read them to the churches, right? If if a church was not being generous, they may they may go get a hold of the the letter that the apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian church to encourage their church to be generous. But whenever the apostles notice that there was something missing, they would write a letter to address that particular thing. The best example of this is the Gospel of John that was actually written. Uh, you know, much later than the other three Gospels. And there are lots of biblical historians that believe, uh, many theologians and scholars that believe uh, that the reason John wrote his Gospel, or that one of the reasons he wrote his Gospel, is to purposely include things that the other Gospels hadn't included. And so John was there. He witnessed Jesus. He was one of his disciples. He, he was one of the the guys on the inside circle. And he had traveled extensively after the life of Jesus uh, preaching. And, um, and, you know, and history tells us that he ends up being a pastor, elder, um, you know, in, in the Ephesian region, in what is modern day Western Turkey. And late in his life, he has access to all the things that have been written, you know, the, the gospels that have been written, the, the epistles that have been written by Paul and the other apostles, all these epistles that are being written and circulated. He's able to collect all of them. He has them in front of him. It's not like he's starting from scratch, right? He, he, he's looking at all of these and John probably is saying to himself, these are all really good. These are all, uh, they, th- these are all what the people of God need going forward. However, there's a few things that happen in the life of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus, in the death and resurrection. There are some things that took place that, that are, have not been included in any of the current writings, and he chose to write another gospel, a fourth gospel, to include some very specific things that had not been previously included in any of the previous writings. The gospel of Luke is very similar in that when Luke is writing his gospel, it is highly likely that he actually has uh, access to the gospel of Mark and the gospel of Matthew, right? He's also not starting from scratch. That when he is writing his gospel down, and, and side note, he writes in a much more uh, journalistic manner. He, he's he's kind of like a, 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 a an investigative reporter in his writing, which is a different flavor and style than the other gospels. But, but when Luke is writing his gospel, he probably has Matthew and Mark in front of him, not the people. The, he has the Gospels, the, their writings in front of them, and he's able to sort of confer with them, and he's able to make sure that he's documenting things accurately. And so the, the writings in the first century, get they get widely circulated. There are people who were alive at that time that are able to say, yes, that's right, or no, that's not right. And there are people in that time that are able to say, hey, all of these writings are good, but we're missing something. We need to add to it. And eventually, over the course of an extended period of time, just like with any other event of human history, 
a consensus builds. And, and by the time we get to 70 AD or 80 AD, there, there is this a, a growing uh, universal consensus. And most certainly by the time we get to the sec- second century, it is an overwhelming consensus amongst all of the church leaders about which writings are authoritative and which ones are not. And, and there's already a, a sense where we're starting to compile the scriptures and that together they are complete. You know, one individual letter by itself is not complete. If you only have the the letter to the Colossians, well, that's not complete, right? It doesn't give you everything you need to know about the gospel and everything you need to know about God. But the but the book of Colossians, the letter of Colossians, serves as one piece to the puzzle, right? The book of Romans, as as awesome as it is, it's it's Paul's masterpiece. It's not a hundred percent complete. There are things not included in the book of Romans. The same with the gospels, right? The reason why we have four great gospels in God's sovereignty and his grace toward us, he he gives us four to give us the whole picture. And so the, the simple answer to William's question is, so how do we know we didn't miss out on something? How do we know that there's not a key component to the gospel, to Christianity that that's that's missing? The answer is is quite simple, and that is because there was a lot of things written, a lot of things circulated, and there's lots of people that were able to investigate and sort of uh, sort of compare all of these things, and were able to work together to make sure that we have the whole truth. As you study the the history of the writings and and the history of the early church, you. you you quickly come to the conclusion that the early church leaders were very diligent in in collecting the scriptures and to giving their people the whole counsel of God. They didn't want their people to miss out on anything, so they worked really hard to do that, uh, to, to, to eventually compile them, and over the following centuries to compile them into one book, to preserve it, to guard it, to protect it, and to uh, eventually pass it on from generation to generation, so that we today can have a New Testament that we can trust and say, we know for sure that this thing is indeed accurate and that this thing that we have in front of us, this New Testament, this Bible, um, is complete. It's not missing anything. There wasn't anything uh, purposely left out or accidentally left out because there were church leaders over the course of several decades and several centuries diligently seeking to compile this with the utmost integrity. As I study the New Testament and the history of the New Testament, the compilation of the New Testament, when I study the the historical events of the first century surrounding uh, the New Testament and the early uh, church leaders, I think it becomes very obvious to me that that what we have today is a complete gospel, that there are no bits of truth or elements of truth that were left out or added to, that the that the gospel message and the essence of the gospel message that that we Christians, uh, those of us who are followers of Jesus, that we are presenting to the world today, I believe is the complete and whole gospel message that Christ uh, founded and initiated and that he offered the world when he uh, was here on planet Earth during his life and then most certainly after his death and resurrection. That he made the offer for all who would believe would be forgiven of their sin and be offered eternal life. And that all the, the, the related gospel truths, the deity of Christ, the, the Godhead, uh, the, the Trinitarian nature of God, the, the, the variety of components that are attached to that whole gospel truth, that the gospel truth that we present today, I believe is whole and it is complete. It is not perverted or changed. And I believe that we can trust the message that is being offered today. Again, the message that God is a God of love and he is making it possible for us to be forgiven of our sin if we put our faith in Christ.
Okay, let me give you a few resources you can check out if you are any if you're a nerd like me or if you're someone that's a, a serious uh, student and, and researcher like Zach uh, appears to be. Um, let me give you two books by Gary Habermas, and then I'm gonna give you a, a series of books by N.T. Wright. Uh, the first book I'm gonna mention is by Gary Habermas. I've mentioned him on the podcast before. He has a book called The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus, which is fantastic. I'd encourage you to check it out. He actually co-wrote it with another theologian Michael Lacona um, really kind of makes the lays forth the evidences for the resurrection that Jesus did indeed raise from the dead and listen if Jesus rose from the dead that's the game changer okay all bets are off that the question is not if he is God it's the it's the question of how do how do we embrace him as God like if he rose from the dead and he is indeed who he said he is I believe he did raise from the dead and I think Gary Habermas makes a great case for that with his co-author Michael Lacona in that book again the case for the resurrection of Jesus Jesus. Um, the other book that I think would be applicable to this is a book called The Historical Jesus, also by Gary Habermas, which he really goes through all of the ancient evidences for the life of Christ. You know, I've, I've said here that there are a variety of evidences for the life of Christ and that the gospels got it right. Gary Habermas really lays that out in his, in his book. I would encourage uh, Zach or anyone like Zach to look into getting a copy of that book. And then there's a series of books by N.T. Wright. You guys have heard me talk about N.T. Wright before. He is uh, really one of the preeminent New Testament scholars in the world. Some people would say he's kind of the heir to C.S. Lewis. Like he's just really a profound thinker in a lot of ways, just way smarter than me. And um, and just really is a really a gift to the body of Christ in terms of some fantastic writing. He's got dozens and dozens of books and articles and essays and things of that nature. I've watched a bunch of his videos on YouTube and read a bunch of his articles and essays and things like that. Well, he has a series of books uh, that really kind of answer a lot of the questions that Zach's kind of brought up, uh, in particular kind of understanding the first century and how we can kind of grapple through what happened and how that was preserved, uh, as well as a variety of other theological questions. But it's a series of books called The Christian Origin and the question of God. Um, it's a four book series. They're kind of pricey. You know, they're like 30, 40 bucks each. I think one of them is actually like 50 or 60 bucks. Um, it's kind of, they're kind of like textbooks. They're actually used as textbooks in certain Christian colleges in the country and, and beyond in England and elsewhere. Um, and so it's, again, it's four book series. The first one is called the new Testament and the people of God. That one's got quite a bit about, uh, kind of about the, the early elements of the church, um, and, and the, and the compilation of the new Testament, uh, the veracity of it, the authenticity of it, the historical as- accuracy of it. Um, and then the other ones cover, you know, the life of Jesus, the resurrection. And then the fourth book covers just the apostle Paul and, and his epistles and how do we know they are authentic and inspired. And so again, a great, great resource. Um, I encourage anyone just you can just YouTube NT Wright and, and do a search. And you can find a bunch of stuff by him. But if you're a really serious student, I'd highly encourage you to look into getting that series of books uh, by NT Wright. So check out Gary Habermas and his stuff. Check out NT Wright and his stuff. And then of course, as always, I'll have those linked up in the show notes here for this episode. You don't have to go find it on your own. I'll have it linked up. Head over to our website, theologyfortherestofus.com. Look at the show notes for episode 182. And right there, you'll find the links where you can find those resources. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Thank you to Zach for sending great emails. Keep them coming. I hope the conversation can continue. Hey, anyone else, if you have a question or a topic that you want me to address, I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email at heyortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. That's H-E-Y. O-R-T-I-Z at TheologyForTheRestOfUs.com Hey, if you want to connect with me personally, the best place to do it is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Kenneth Ortiz. That's K-E-N-N-E-T-H 
O-R-T-I-Z. I look forward to connecting with you there. Hey, if you're a big podcaster, check out my other podcast, the Student Ministry Podcast. It's really designed to be a source of inspiration and resources for anyone serving in middle school, high school, or college ministry. Check it out on the web at studentministrypodcast.com. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us. Hey.